0: The Convention Collective Sandbox at Portsmouth Comic Con 2019. Welcome along to Portsmouth Comic Con Day 2. My name is Lennon Sultana, I run a website called The Convention Collective which is all about Comic Cons, con culture and all the fandoms that you get to experience at such events. The great thing about the site is that it's allowed me to speak to some very cool and interesting people. People like Mr. Tom Coco. A round of applause, please. So. We're going to talk for about maybe half an hour or so, uh, and then we'll dive everyone else in and okay. let everyone else have a, a crack at a question. This
1: is the heaviest chair, it, isn't it? Just in the county. Although
0: I did quite like the fact. I think it was um, uh, Kieran who came up and he just went, "Okay, can we get this down to my table, please?" Yeah, because I think it, or just move fr- us up here. It's very, yeah, it's very, uh, very ornate, uh, but uh, yeah, and uh, I think it's kind of fitting to your artwork as well, because I think certainly uh, in recent years you've. You've, your artwork has developed uh, a really kind of—I'm uh, um, not going to say classical style—but um, it's definitely gotten uh, a, a real kind yeah. of uh, detail and a real t- classic sensibility. Looking at sort of the, the history of comics, it's almost like it's bringing itself into the pantheon of other, other great artists, which you're kind of entering that realm of. I'd think. I mean, starting with stuff like wow. um, Black Black
1: Monday. I mean, for me, like, um, Creepy Magazine is my favorite book in the world, and uh, I still think it's the best, um, you know, semi-regular book to ever be published. And uh, and the 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 frustrating aspect of that is that when I was a kid and I first started reading creepy comics, I was I'm in my forties, and so it was I was reading books that were already twenty years old when I was reading mm. them as a kid. And I didn't realize that when I was little. And so when I got older, I realized that you can't do those books anymore. There's nowhere to do that type of work. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't even Savage Sword anymore. And uh, and so in the last couple of years, it's been the first chance I've, I've really had not to have to shoehorn what I do into a superhero. Okay. And so I've been allowed to do just what I do, which is... Uh, I mean... I, 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 everything you said was very nice. I'm not going to say that, <laughs> um, but it's very. And I like being an art director. Like I like taking a lot of time to figure out like what people are wearing and where they're at and what their locations are and what what would be in a room like this if I had to draw this room and all this kind of stuff and like making it as accurate as possible to period and to, to location and, and you know eco- economic classes and all this kind of things. And Is so, the prep
0: the most important, most interesting thing to you when it comes to your work?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, up until, like... All the, re- the research and... Yeah, the research and, and everything and up through about the layouts, and then that's when, like, the work starts. Like, the, after the layouts is when it's like, okay, now i got to sit down and, you know, ink everything and, and figure all that stuff out and make it look pretty. <laughs> and that's that takes... The other stuff is time-consuming, but it's... It's it's all fun, but, I mean, it beats the hell to of digging ditches. But it's, um... But, that's the, yeah, that's the labor part. It's the inking and all that kind Fair of stuff. Right. Um, as I
0: was saying before you uh, walked through the door and how... Yeah, we were talking about you. Mm-hmm. you? Did you feel your ears but I did. Excellent. Um, about uh, when I've tried to do some research on uh, yourself in preparation for this, obviously there's the work which you can read, which is great. There's not been a great deal in terms of your... Kind of like your background. It, I mean, most interviews, it, start, it says, okay, um, age 17, I, I got my, my first work with Image Comics. And you just go, excuse me? You don't just walk in off the street off that. I want to know about how you kind of got into even that path. So, I mean, what was your early comics reading or early kind of genre kind of well, I mean,
1: when I was, I was born in 72, and so after I got out of, like, the Gold Key stuff, like, got into, like actual comics. Um, it was creepy. I mean, a a friend of my father's gave me a box that had like the first hundred creepies in it or something like that. And our first 50 or something, all the Jack Davis and the Frazetta and all that Bernie Wrights and stuff apps and the the Al Williams and stuff. Were you drawing straight away? Yeah. Yeah. From the, from as long as I, I remember, I can remember being like four or five years old and like telling people actively, like I'm going to draw comics. Like that's what I want to do. And it never changed. And everybody would always say, that's really great. You should get a backup career like plumbing or like welding or something like to have a fallback. Um, but when I was about f- 15, I guess, uh, at that point, I was still reading, you know, like books, but not. I was reading a lot of epic and a lot of like the, there was the black and white boom there and all that kind of stuff. And I was sure. reading most of that stuff, um, a lot of Pacific stuff and first and whatever. And, uh, and my, my, at the time, my girlfriend got pregnant and she decided to have the baby. And so uh, my son, and so I decided that the only thing I can do is draw comics is draw pictures. And so I better in a real hurry, learn how to do it well enough to get a job. And so I took my uh, exams to get out of high school and in 10th grade. And, uh, I just literally spent the next three years drawing like eight or 10 hours a day. Wow, or no, it was about two and a half years, I guess. And at about seventeen and a half, or at about sixteen and a half, I got a. Do you remember Marvel comic? Uh, what was the book, Marvel Age? Right. Okay. Was that the, the they did Marvel did like a book that was like a uh, yeah a monthly solicitation kind of thing, right? And they had all the stories about the publishers and editors and stuff. Um, but they used to do like a uh, John Romita Sr. would do this thing in the back where they publish like a. Up and coming talent thing. And so I when I was like sixteen and a half I got I got that. And that was awesome. I was so stoked.
0: And how did then, you make that connection? How did you was it a case of literally just taking your um your work <laughs> through the door or it was, it was it just blind
1: submissions, just sending stuff in through the mail. I mean back then I didn't have any emails uh obviously and that kind of stuff and I didn't it was it was before that that I had gone to Wonder, my first WonderCon. In my, it's, that's in Oakland, California. Or in San Francisco later. And, uh, and then I'd gone to my first San Diego. But the, the Marble Age thing was just a total fluke just based on a blind submission that, that they wow. uh, liked. I don't, yeah. And, uh, and John Armeida Sr. was a really, really a gracious, wonderful person to get a crit- criticism from. And, uh, what however, was that early criticism like? Uh, I mean, he was very complimentary about things like, um, like mood and pace and, and, uh, and attention to detail and, and far more critical about things like, uh, y- you know, just knowing anatomy well enough and knowing um, just how to, how to draw well enough, I guess. Like, it, there were moments when the pages were really good and then there were moments when the pages were kind of not very good. And so it kind of showed that my ability was kind of spotty. Can you and look back at that early? Because I, I, the panel you did outside, and you said,
0: oh, yeah, well, I got the, the job, my early jobs, and I couldn't really draw then. Do you, when <laughs> you look, I mean, that's how, it obviously was a flippant comment, but can you, what's, when you look back
1: at your early stuff, um, can you see? No, it's horrible. I mean, but the, the thing about it was that um, I, I, when I was a little kid, like in fifth grade or something like that, I started... Uh, doing a thing called concurrent enrollment where you could attend uh, a city college courses um, because there was no art like there was no advanced art courses in in, uh, in our schools and so i would literally just throw all day and ignore all my studies and just draw pictures and and i wasn't stupid i just didn't care because i could just i just that's what i was going to do was draw hmm.
0: and so that uh, sense of fearlessness at that point i suppose that young arrogance of no, I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do.
1: Yeah. And and the more people would say like, oh, you should probably learn how to like, you know, clean windows or whatever. I would, I would just do it more. And so they, they put me because of that. They put in this concurrent enrollment thing where like three days a week or two, two and a half days a week, I would go, I would leave elementary school and it went all the way through 10th grade. So I would leave and on a little van, they would take me to city college and I would do figure drawing. Um, and uh, it started with, you know, costume figure drawing. And then it, like, I think around seventh grade, it moved to nude figure drawing. And uh, I did that, I think I did figure drawing regularly up until about the age of 30. I would do it two or three times a week.
0: Were you, who were you studying at that point? Which, Who was there any artists that you were actively keeping an eye on and sort of drawing? Comic guys? Sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I mean, at that time I was, you know...
0: Because I mean, creepy's one thing, but then yeah, you've I really I, got to get. Into... I realized that that
1: stuff wasn't anymore, and so I had to figure out what was modern. Yeah, and so at that time, what was modern was you know uh, Rob and Todd, and and uh, I was a huge Magnolia fan from I mean from Rocker Raccoon, and from Elric. You know, um, Kelly Jones. I really loved his work. Uh, um, who else? Jim Lee was. I think I still think is a god. Uh I think P. Craig Russell is as good a pers- good an illustrator as ever existed and, and I mean there was but it was a kind of a desperate or disparate crew of people that you can really pull uh, a lot of different disciplines from those that, yeah. that talent book pull. And so but when I was doing the the figure studies or the like the the school stuff, I didn't I had no idea what I was. So they just gave me vine charcoal and you can't do anything delicate with I mean you can, but you, you can't draw, you know, detailed line stuff with vine charcoal. So I would just sit there and draw, you know, shapes and, and draw light. And uh, and I think that stuff still shows. And in, it, it's interesting because like when I was a kid, I would draw. I have a you know portfolio of that stuff still somewhere. And I saw it maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and I thought I I still draw exactly the same. Like it's it's just I've gotten better. Um, like I don't I think you have a certain thing you do or you learn. And that's just how you do it. No matter how you try and cover it up, it, it never changes, really. Okay. With that Marvel
0: age, um, so like very much as a calling card, what was the next kind of... Uh,
1: after that, I got a job. DC hired me to do a book. Um, and it was a, just a fiasco. Uh, it was... They... they. I was 17. I, I started going to the conventions every... You know, all the San Diego's and, and the, and the WonderCon's. And back then, I don't know if you guys have gone to shows like that back then, but you could—they'd send every editor, and there'd be every artist you could imagine that was of any caliber, and um, and they would just be there, and you would just walk up to them, and you'd be like, "Hi, uh, Bob Harris. I just want to show you my portfolio," and you're—I'm a 15-year-old kid, and be like, "Sure," or like I remember Archie Goodwin because the art, cause of the creepy connection. Like I would bug Archie Goodwin at every show and just sit there and like. <laughs> You know, just asking questions. and It's, show them it's, stuff it's and,
0: still like that at some of the American shows. You just have to jump through a few more hoops, yeah, to get you in front of them. But
1: well, and guys like Carl Potts and 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 John Buscema uh, and, and uh, I got to you know harass like guys like Alex Nino and and Kirby and and these people that you just shouldn't be able to just cold walk up to and um, they should have some kind of a buffer. Um, Did you get
0: shot down at all by any of them? Did any of, any of them how how often did you get your stuff really broken down and really kind of?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I won't. I, I, well, I'll say one name. Uh, most people were incredibly gracious, or either they were very gracious, or they were just um, they could not have given two shits less, and they <laughs> would just they would just yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, and then whatever. Um, because back then you could smoke, in a, you could still smoke at a convention, yeah. and so you'd have these guys that are, you know, sixty-five year old guys who've been drawing comics for forty years. And they'd have a bottle of scotch under the table and a and an ashtray on the, you know, on their portfolio, and just be, I don't really care, kid, you know, with that kind of thing. But um, uh, it, it, you would get, I got. T- there was two things you would get. You would get um, Marvel and DC both had a standard. And I think it was the Archie Goodwin Carl um, Potts. Uh, criticism where if you were at a certain level that was above drawing pictures on binder paper, but you weren't professional, they had a, a, a kind of a pat criticism they would give you that was like, "Stop looking at comics. Draw from life. Look at these movies. Look at these books. Uh, you know, look at Bridgman. Look at uh the the who did the figure book? I can't remember. Loomis. And uh, stop looking at comics and." It was just this kind of pat five-minute thing they could, they could recite verbatim. And that was helpful, but it wasn't... It, it, was, it, was a, it was a generic, like, you're not really at a place where I can give you individual criticism. And once you got past that, though, it, everybody would just... It, everybody would tell you different things, But it, some, and some people would be very constructively nice about it, and some people would be really, you know, vicious about it. Um, and, uh, and, but if, if you did enough of it, you could start to find threads where like this person, you'd find that everybody mentioned a certain couple, two or three things. And so then you'd go back and you'd address those two or three things for the next, uh, before the next show. And then sure. you'd have a new batch of pages and then hopefully those couple things would be mentioned less. Which,
0: or where did you start getting the uh, sequential, uh, kind of, uh, backbone to your work, uh, the the help and uh, the mentoring in that regard to to learn to do sequential story? Because obviously you've done not just comics, you've done storyboarding, you've done directing. um, So you've had to learn the ability to to tell a a coherent story. Um, Who did you turn to for that? Beyond the artwork, as it were, but the actual telling of a story.
1: Um, I had a... a, uh, uh, I met Kelly Jones once at a show, and there was nobody... It was before Dead Man came out, so it was a while ago. And um, he didn't have anything to do. He was sitting there with all these Dead Man pages. I don't know what anybody thinks about Kelly, but those pages were beautiful. And I'm just, like, stunned looking at these things. And I showed him my portfolio, and he took about two hours to just kind of... You know, he would draw. He had a bunch of vellum because he was doing some stuff, and he was just drawing over pages and read recomposing stuff and laying stuff out and showing me like tangents and then he just would make these notes on the side of it where he'd be like David Lean just watch everything David Lean ever did and then he would go back to drawing and then he would make another list and you know he'd he'd say uh, Kurosawa or he'd say uh, Orson Welles or 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 he'd you know he'd start just listing Hitchcock films and uh, and I was just one of those guys who would take that information and I would treat it really seriously and I would just go home and I would I mean at that time there was no cable you had to go to the, the video store I yeah. hope they had Touch of Evil or whatever and uh or you could find that at a Revival House and I just studied that stuff on my own in a dark little
0: room drawing for cuz you can even t- you could tell even with the, the your earlier stuff there's a like I mean that was interesting the fact that it was there was the cinematic element even then yeah and the the the, the film framing and the very the kind of the Wide screen, big screen kind of uh, shot choices and yeah, that kind of, that you can see even in your early stuff. And like Carl Potts
1: was big on that too because he would. I met him and Archie. I met them a bunch of times at the shows and and would and would just dig into their brains about that because those guys are, I think, two of the best storytellers have ever lived. And and one's a writer and one's an editor. So I mean, it's it's, it's odd, but um, they. But I mean, like, Carl Potts would just... Archie was a wonderful... I don't know if you guys ever met or heard stories about Archie Goodman, but he was just a wonderful person that was... loved comics and was better at it than anybody else, probably ever, in my opinion. And... But he was so friendly and nice and gracious and outgoing, and and he really made you feel like you were talking to a, a relative or a family member or something. But Carl was a prick. And he would just... He had... Like, Archie, you could argue with or you could go back and forth on, a, on, on something that he thought was right or wrong, and, and he would always kind of, he would hear you out and, 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 you know, at the end he would still say, yeah, but you're wrong. But, at the, but he would still hear you out and listen to you, and Carl would just go, that is wrong. You cannot do that. That is a mistake. Anybody who's a professional will see that and know that that is a mistake, and that shows that you're an amateur. Whoa. And then he would go to the next thing, and you're just like, okay. And, but then he would go back and he would tell you how to do... I still remember that he would say, like, you can never... He, I drew a panel where I had the action going uh, right to left. And he was like, you can't do that. That's just, you can't have action happening right to left. And he gave me this big, you know, he's got a piece of paper out and he's drawing pictures of how I should have done it. And he's talking about right, left to right storytelling and Western civilization and, and how it's the underpinning. And then he goes... Unless they're settling America, then they can go right to left because that's east to west. And that means you're going towards a new frontier. And I was like, oh. And so I still, every time I draw an outer space scene, I'm like, okay, they got, the action's got to go backwards. You still hear those voices in the background? Uh, yeah, of your I go backwards on the action because I know it ha- it, it's, it's exploration.
0: Okay. Um, so, Marvel, uh, obviously, that was the, the first big work that you did, but then you went to Image or. DC what, hired me for some DC, stuff yeah. that was
1: a it was a fiasco cuz they I was young enough that my dad had to sign my contract and that kind of stuff and, and um and I told them in advance like I, I don't have I, never drawn a book a monthly book before um and they signed me up to do a 12 issue thing and um, what was the book it was Remember? called Zinapurd I think it was Doug Doug Mensch wrote it and mm-hmm. uh, and I I told them every step of the way like I've never done this before I've never I've only looked at sample scripts. Um so you might want to make sure that I'm getting a little a very good editor as well. Uh, yeah, a very good editor, but also that someone's going to understand that I don't know what I'm doing and so that they can kind of assure me sure. through the through the the you know along the, the the path or whatever. And they just didn't they just didn't uh seem to at a certain point I was no longer in the hands of the people that hired me and I was in the, in the corporate hands and they just put me wherever and they just suddenly, it was like, well, why aren't you turning in seven pages a week? And I'm like, because I'm 16 years old and I don't know what I'm doing. And we 17, I guess. And then uh, at a San Diego, not long after that, it was after Image had come about, um, but it was still when they were only doing the, the core creators. And uh, Eric Larson, uh, my inker showed a bunch of pages to Eric Larson at the time. I didn't know that. And Eric... Uh, called me up a few days later at home after the show and um, I didn't know who he was and, and uh, he said um, can you draw like Art Adams I saw a picture that kind of looked like Art Adams and I said sure I can draw like Art Adams I draw like Art Adams every day I love Art Adams but I can't draw like Art Adams and he said okay I'm gonna, I'll give you a book and he offered me uh, uh, a ludicrous image page rate for that you know when they were really ridiculous page rates then And I said, sure. And I had to call up DC and say, look, I don't know why you guys are doing this to me, but this is miserable and I I just, I can't do this. And I got an offer from Image that's going to pay me, I think it was literally eight times a page Mm. what they were paying me. And, uh, and they're guaranteeing me an extra amount of backend and, and Reddit, you know, royalties and that kind of stuff. And so I'm going to go with that. And, and I went and did that book. It was called Vanguard and it was God awful. And, um... But again, like they gave me Eric, I told Eric, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing, but i i I. I could. I could draw a page and tell a story and stuff, but I didn't. You know, producing 32 pages and and doing it on a on a schedule and that kind of stuff was out, out of a bunch
0: of them. I suspect that Eric was the one that would be a little bit more of a risk 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 taker. He's the one that
1: will take a chance on. Well, the thing about Eric that was so awesome. great is that at a certain point. I finished the first issue, it was 32 pages, and then we did a, a something else. No, I did a backup story for Savage Dragon, and then I did a the 32-page a first story, first issue. And um, I said, dude, about halfway through it, I was like, I can't draw like this. Like, I don't know how to... Uh, it's it's making me crazy to try and draw like somebody else every day. Right. And he said, yeah, I can tell. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to quit. And he said, good, because I'm going to have to fire you. And I was like, awesome, and <laughs> thanks... And he said, by the way, we got a check in for you. And I was like, Oh, how much? And he told me a number and I was like, Great. I'm this is a wonderful day to quit, <laughs> slash be fired. And me and Eric have been great friends ever since. And and I've always loved Image ever since. And uh like Eric Stephenson and I have been friends since he was a little, you know, assistant for Rob. And, and well, I mean, um, you
0: were talking downstairs about the the long term relationship you've had with Image. Yeah. Um that how have you seen image change and develop over the years, especially under, say, uh,
1: Eric Stevenson's stewardship and yeah, ben Valentino, yeah, 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 and, yeah, and yeah. Larson's and all. I mean, the thing, I, the the biggest thing I guess about it is that it, it went from being um, studio oriented, where I worked at the Wildstorm Studios for quite a while. I was physically there. So like lots of
0: little mini imprints within the, that. Yeah, um, that umbrella. And you yeah.
1: had your like your house styles, like you had the you had. Wildstorm. You had Extreme. You had um, uh, Top Cow, and then you had Valentino and, and uh, Eric and Todd doing their own things. But um, it it was amazing to be able to go to, to Wildstorm, and it's you know it's it's. I'm walking to a room where it's like Jim Lee, Scott Williams, um, Mark Silvestri was on his way out, but he was still there. Um, Travis was t- Travis uh Troy Hubs, um, Jay Campbell. Uh, me, Scott Doombier, had never edited a book. He edited my first book. A um, guy like Dan Norton and J.J. J. Kirby that are mostly animators now. Um, and, like, uh, I got there on the same day Adam Hughes got there. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, we're just gonna give you guys apartments and we're gonna give you guys a little office and, and uh, just draw your books. And we'll just pay you a per diem and, and we'll, we'll take care of the rent and all that kind of stuff and just produce your books. And, um, Jim Lee was was an am- amazingly, um, you know, he had his office there, but the door was always open, and I would draw pages, and I'd walk in there and be like, "Hey, Jim, what do you think?" And and he was just a completely open door policy. I,
0: I find, I, I suspect that you're. I mean, looking at your work, it's all very, it's very, um, very much geared back to that those early influences of your your comic reading. But it, it's very rock. It's very kind of. It's it's yes. got a real kind of. Uh, I'm not going to say grunge, but a real kind of, so sort of like rock, a real rock um, sensibility to it. Whereas image at that time, it was more, it was a little bit polished, a little bit cleaner. Well, I so, how did, how did your style sit?
1: I mean, to go into the he same, was, on the same day as Adam Hughes, <laughs> Adam just... was a beast. Like, Adam was, even at that time, I was just like, I mean, Adam Hughes had already done Justice League, he'd already done uh, Maze Agency and, and all that stuff, which I don't know if anybody even knows Maze Agency, but, um, And uh, I forget what else he'd done at that point, but Adam was Adam or he was always Adam. Like he was, there was never a point where he wasn't. And, um, but he was, he was, his work was intimidating, but he was such a friendly and and accommodating guy. And we would just sit there and, you know, listen to Beatles music and and draw pictures. And and he would say things and he, he's a, he's a guy that is, uh, he likes to torture or he doesn't like, but he does torture himself (laughs) over his work. And he would say, we'd sit there and draw, we'd be drawing, and I'd draw a page, and he would draw a, you know, a panel and erase it, and a panel and erase it, and a panel, or you know, whatever. And, and he would say, gosh, Tom, I wish I could draw like you. I wish I could just be so decisive. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what the fuck are you talking <laughs> about? Like You're Adam Hughes. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm, I can barely hold the pencil because you're next to me drawing you know, these astounding pictures and then throwing them away. Like I'm gonna, I'm actually trying to figure out how I can get to the trash can tonight before the <laughs> cleaning people come in to take it all out. And, um, but, but the thing that was weird, it was again like, what you were saying though. I, I, I like to be, I, I like to draw with the side of my pencil, and I like to to kind of screw around with layouts and do things that are and splatter and razor blades and all those kind of things. And I was paired up with Rich Friend for a while as an anchor, Richard Friend, and then uh, with Troy Hubs, who inked Travis, uh, Teresa stuff, and those guys are, I mean, Troy doesn't ink anymore, but he was a masterful anchor when it came to that Travis look. Yeah. And Richard Friend is, in my opinion, him and Sandra Hope are the two best, and Scott, um, the, they'd be the three best, like, clean anchors that have that have worked in the last decade or two, for my, for my money. Okay. And, uh, but I couldn't draw, like I, I hate cross-hatching, I don't, because it's hard, and it, like the, the murray patterns and all that kind of stuff, like I just don't. When did it feel that you didn't know what you were doing? So I left, I, I worked there, I had to, like suddenly I'm using French curves and trying to do stuff, because I'm trying to work to my anchor strengths, you know. Sure. And we were a team at that point, so I had to figure out a way to draw, to incorporate that stuff into what I do. And uh, we wrapped all that out and I ended up, I did a, I did a bunch of different things for Night or for uh, Wildstorm. We finished with a book called Nightfall that was like a three-issue little mini-series thing that we did. And I just said, I'm done. I'm not going to do comics anymore because this is miserable drawing like, uh, I don't like drawing like other people. Right. And I felt like I, instead of getting better, I was just kind of like staying in this Holding pattern of just repeating the same. You weren't finding. You weren't finding again. your own style. You weren't yeah. finding your own voice. And so I just stopped. And I, I, I had a friend who did toy design, and 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 it was really early in like video game stuff. And he said, "Well, you could probably do this stuff. It's easy." And so I said, "All right." And so uh, I got an agent. Um, that I mean, within like a week of quitting comics, I was doing like, three three days a week of, of toy design for, like, Hasbro and Mattel. And it was all conceptual, um, so I didn't have to do, like, the maquette drawings or any of that technical stuff. I would just do... They would call me up, and they'd say, we want to do um, Jumanji 3. And uh, it, it, and this is... I mean, Jumanji 2 hadn't even been coming out at that point. Um, and we want it to be... Or, no, Jumanji 2 would come out, but it was, like, that was the end of it. Um, the idea is that the... Uh, the game the box is run over by a tank, and all the pieces get smushed together. And so when it's opened again, and people get sucked into it, all the mon- animals are mixed up. Right. And so just draw mixed up animals for the next three days. I'd say, okay. And I would sit down, you have to do 15 drawings a day. And uh, they were just pencil, or just straight ink. I didn't, you didn't have to finish anything. And um, I would just go, I would have my board a lot like this, without this and i'd go okay number one and i would just put the pencil down and just start drawing and then i you know i had to do 15 a day so i got about 30 minutes per drawing or 45 minutes per drawing and i'd you know i'd know what time it was when i started and i'd go and then i'd look over and I'd go okay that one's done <laughs> and then i would just go to the next just one back home and doing that i did that for about three years i guess where every day i'm drawing they're just saying, draw you know, they would say, draw the Transformers. We're doing this new CGI Transformers cartoon. And we want you to design Cheetor or whatever. And they'd give me or Cheetor and uh, some guy that I, was a helicopter, I can't remember what his name was. And so they gave me like two days or three days of just sitting there and I just I would just draw, you know, big mech robots that were Cheetor and the ro- and the helicopter guy, or they'd say, like, Oh, we're doing robot cowboys, design robot cowboys for a week. And then after a couple years, I got to do the point where I could be like the, it's all, I'm working at home and everything's going back and forth by fax. It was, there was no email. And um, at a certain point, I got to a point where I could like head up a, a design team, oh, wow. or I, I didn't head it up, but I would be like, they would have me do a pass on designing a, a franchise and then they would disseminate that to other people and have them do iterations or whatever, you know? And um, I remember they called me up and they said, there's this book out and we want you to head up the license. Uh, we're going to try and get the license. We want you to head it up. And uh, it's, a, it's called Harry Potter and she doesn't want to license anything. And so it's, you know, we're trying to convince her to do it and Mattel is trying to do it as well and this whatever, but she's, she's sworn off any kind of licensing. And uh, so I was like, okay, sure. But I don't, I've never heard of it before. And so I sat down and they, had to, they sent me a, uh, a copy of the book uh, like a galley copy. Yeah. And um, it had the covers from, or it had the illustrations of the the woman who did the original covers for it. It was beautiful stuff. And uh, I was like, all right, whatever, who cares? And I just <laughs> sat down and I designed like a Harry Potter world for about a week and a half or two weeks. And I uh, and remember Hagrid and, and, and uh, uh, Snape and, and and the Weasleys and, and Harry himself. And Dare I ask how much survived to the end product? To the I, end? They loved it. They were so happy. They, they thought I was like killing it. They really were convinced that I, I had figured out, I had cracked Harry Potter. And I guess her and her people saw it and they were like, no, no. <laughs> not in a years. So was, the answer to your question is nothing. Okay. You know? uh, so after that, Vertigo called me and they said, hey, we got a book. I, I was friends with Judd Winnick at that point. And uh, they said, we have a book. Um, do you want to do it? And I said, yes, but I, I get to ink it. And um, they said, okay. And I'd never inked anything I'd done before in my life. I'd never—I don't think I'd ever inked a single picture I'd drawn before at that point. And uh, I said, "Oh shit! I got to learn to ink." I'm just gonna say—I mean—I'm
0: spotting that definite continuation across your your, your career of almost falling into uh, having to learn yeah. something on the fly.
1: And, and that whole, yeah, learning learning how to ink. Well, because I didn't know I, I, my experience with inking was like um, guys that could really, really, really like were inkers, like they knew the skill of, the, the trade of inking. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily that they were artists, that, but they were inkers. That's not, not disparaging them, it's just a different set of tools. And uh, I remember I went to the comic shop, I hadn't been to a comic shop in probably a couple of years at that point, because I just had kind of... You sp- hadn't followed along, you hadn't... No, I'd turned it all off purposely, because wow. I didn't want it to... Because there was guys like John Paul Leon and, and those guys who I thought were geniuses, and I still think are geniuses, and uh, I, but I still don't look at their work when I'm working because it's just too, it's too appealing to me. If I look at it, I'm like, oh, I, I, I like that, and I'll start to just work it into what I'm doing, and it's a mistake. But um, I went to a comic shop, and I looked at a bunch of stuff to see what was happening in the comics, and, and uh, I saw uh, Sean Phillips' Hellblazers, and I thought... Something in my head went like, "This is it! Like, just buy everything this, that there is of this guy on the shelf, and him and Duncan Figredo." And uh, I didn't have any clue they knew each other or anything, but I could look at their work, and I could, I could, unlike looking at like the Scott Williams inking, I could look at what they were doing, and I could, I could tell myself, "Okay, I know how they're doing that. Like, I, I can understand the mechanical aspect of how they're right. achieving this work, and so I can do that, and, um, and so." that was kind of like i didn't try and ape those guys but cuz i was still i spent that 3 years just drawing anything anybody asked me to draw from these toy and video game places and so you i learned how to draw like i learned how i draw based on not looking at anybody else's stuff for two or 3 years just you know watching some movies and looking at a lot of classic illustrators and stuff like that but but mainly just having to draw 15 pictures right. a day you get you learn what you're doing and, uh, and so I thought, okay, I could ink my stuff like this and then I just started, it just started inking and that was that. Was that.
0: Wow. okay um, I also want to very quickly touch on because uh, uh, we'll do, I'll do about five minutes and then open it up to you guys um, certainly did the, the other medium that you um, kind of touch on because like I say, it, it sounds like you really kind of our appro- approach to Deal with a lot of different mediums, and you film is obviously a, a big touch point mm-hmm. to uh, what you do. You've made a film. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, was that? Would you write, write, and direct that? I
1: co-wrote I can't remember and what you directed
0: did. it. I co-wrote it and directed it. Co-wrote and directed it. And then uh, it was uh, a. And about this the, is a film called Catacombs. The Catacombs, which I couldn't oh. remember downstairs, but I could remember who starred in it because it's one of those films you saw like come across the trailer of for on on YouTube and you just go okay, why
1: have I not heard of this film? This has got pink in it. Yeah, it's pink and Shannon Sossamon. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if
0: And you just go, they're really? great. They're, they're, okay. they're wonderful.
1: Um, uh, I got married in, in uh, Florence. We went to a honeymoon in, in Paris and we went to the catacombs on the first day in Paris. It's like so romantic. And um, I got home and I told my friend who's a screenwriter, um, I had done some research and I found out that through these massive parties in the catacombs, that's, that's all true. These massive raves, anybody to with what the catacombs are, they have four million bodies worth of bones down there beneath the streets of Paris. Uh, and um, and they have these massive raves where they basically shut down, a, they'll, they'll break in, they'll set up lights, they'll set up phone lines, they'll set up CCTV cameras so they wanna, if cops are coming. It's amazing, they tap into power lines, do all this stuff. And so I was like, we gotta make a story out of this. And he's like, okay, sure. And so we sat down and wrote this, thing over a couple of weeks uh, wrote a treatment and then we wrote a movie and it was at the time it was like a 25 million dollar movie or 30 million dollar movie we had written not thinking that we were going to direct it, just thinking we were going to write it because he was a professional screenwriter and so we figured we could sell it and uh, it, we went to the guys who made Saw and this is right before Saw, the first Saw film came out and um, they wanted to meet us and they met us and I had done a bunch of boards and a bunch of design stuff and, and really like because, oh, they said, the guys want to make the film. And we were, we were like, yes. Like, they were talking to our agents, but we were like, yes, we want to make it. And so I did a bunch of boards and a bunch of design stuff and went back. And they said, we love the script, um, but um, we can't afford to make a $35 million picture, but we can make a, a $1.5 million picture. So you just need to scrape out everything but the location and the names. Like, we really like the names. Keep all the names. And keep the catacombs. And... We, you've got six weeks till we're going to be shooting, and I was like, okay, sure. I mean, because that's what you say. You say yes. You don't, you don't go. Well, I guess. I mean, and then figure it out when they've left the room. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what you do. And so, uh, I mean, I think um, um, Stranko said like, the first time he painted a cover, like they called him and said, hey, can you do? Would you want to do a painted cover. And he's like, oh, sure, I paint all the time. And he and he got off the phone. And he's like, I got a weekend to learn how to paint, but. Um, we had six weeks. We would call our producer every day at, at Twisted and Lionsgate and say, uh, how about this for a new idea? And they'd go, no, that's not it. And we'd get off the phone, and we'd go back to work for their day, and then we'd call them up the next morning and say, well, these, how about this for an idea? And then, "No, oh, that's not it. And after about 10 days, we gave them an idea, and they're like, that's it. And uh, they said, okay, start writing. Do you guys have your passports in order? And we're, was, we're like, yeah. And he's like, Tom, you're going to be in, in like four weeks, you're going to be in Romania. Um, we're going to shoot in Romania. We'll start shooting in 10 weeks. Um, and we're like, we haven't cast the movie. I said, like, oh, we'll cast it, don't worry. We're like, well, you're in Romania, we'll send you footage and we'll have uh, my writing partner, David, was, uh, help cast it. I was like, sure, whatever, that sounds great. And so we had a million and a half bucks. Um, they sent me over to Romania. I don't speak Romanian. I don't deal, I live in Los Angeles. I'm a California native. I don't deal with below zero temperatures well. And um, But it was awesome and the people in Romania were wonderful and friendly and and, uh, and we just sat down and banged out, um, you know, designed everything and I, I'm getting pages to rewrite at night and I'm doing storyboards all day after works. So I would go to bed at about, about 3 o'clock, I'd wake up at about 6 o'clock, I'd do boards for about 6 hours and I'd go design and do art you know, conceptual stuff for about nine hours, and I'd go back and I'd write for about four hours and then do boards for about another, until I had to go to bed at three. And, um, that went on for X amount of time, and then they called me to say, hey, how do you feel about Sean? and Shannon's awesome. And then I was like, I love Shannon. Like, that's perfect. And then there were all kinds of people that were suggested for, um, the other character, and, like, Lindsay Lohan and, and, uh, Mila Kunich? Yeah. Is that her name? And, um... The other, the redheaded headed girl from uh, that 70s show, the other girl in that yeah, show? Yeah, um, yeah, I know what you mean. And, uh, and then there was uh, uh, Richie Cunningham's daughter. Um, what's his, I can't remember his name now, the director.
0: Oh, um, yeah, uh, Ron Howard. Yeah, so Ron I'm, Howard's yeah, daughter. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and a bunch of people. And eventually someone said, hey, Pink wants to be in a movie. Do you guys want <coughs> Pink? And I was like, at that time, I'd, I don't know if you guys ever watched the NBA over here, but she had a big NBA commercial with the... the let's get the party started or whatever the song was okay. that was the big hit. And I was like, yeah, well, let's let's have her in and they had her in and she was awesome. We did this phone, like a video conference call thing and uh, the next thing we know, she's... In the movie. Yeah, we're all on set yeah. and we're shooting and... How much did the
0: your comic background influence how you did the, uh, the film?
1: Massively. And like if you... Uh, the DP was a, is a great guy named Maxim Alexander, and, and he would I would say I want a, I want a close up or I want a wide shot, and he would frame, he always called them Americans, like he would frame an American wide shot or he'd frame an American medium or a medium American close up, and I would look at it and I'd be like dude like that's I, I like I asked for a close up like I want to I want to be able to make out the striations in her pupil like I don't want to, this is not a close up to me this is yeah. a, this is a medium close up, and so I would I would sit there and I would just move the camera. And, or I would change the lenses out or whatever, and and, um, and after a couple days, yeah, I can imagine that didn't. <laughs> no, no, he was great. He well. was fantastic because he was like, oh, I, this is perfect because this is the stuff I would much I would much rather be pushing stuff to an extreme degree because it's boring to do midland shots, you know. Sure. And so we would do these wide shots where the characters, you know, the entire frame is black and there's one little light at the end of a tunnel with a character this big on the screen, and it was just like. Mm. We would just sit there and giggle in the dark, and and uh, we lit the almost the entire show with a real flashlight. and That was the flashlight. I think it was a six thousand dollar flashlight called the Beast, and that was the heads of it's about this big, and it took like twenty six lithium batteries at the time, and it would hum. You would turn on it, would go Psss! whoa, and you could see the heat coming off it. It was, but it was it was an awesome experience, and uh, we. Got back, we went to Paris and shot some exterior stuff, got back, everybody was so pleased and happy, and then um, out of nowhere, our producer, Greg, uh, who produced and did the Saw, the Saw films, he passed away suddenly, uh, one day. And um, at that point, Saw 2 had was in production, and they were terrified because he was responsible for Saw 1. And Saw 1 had made so much money that they were terrified that they were going to lose their cash cow. And so they basically took our assembly cut added a bunch of like kind of choppy choppy MT video MTV video editing and then just cut it. And we didn't know. We we didn't we had no idea that it happened. And then they just shit canned us. They put us on a shelf and we didn't know any of this until I was like six months later. Because um, they would talk to us on the phone and tell us everything's great. And uh somebody at a friend of ours called us from the CON Festival in France and said hey, I just walked into a room and they're, they're selling the foreign rights to your film on video. And I was like, what? what are we, we're still cutting it. We're literally cutting it right now. I don't know. They got, they got a cut right here. They're selling it on video. And then so we learned that they had shit-canned the movie. And so the, the cut that is out there is not our cut. And it's I think it's awful. And I didn't want, we finished our cut hoping we could convince them to not release that version of it. And we paid to have like Extra effects done, and do the sound, and do finish the editing, and all this kind of stuff, hoping that they would just—all they had to do was swap the one for the other—and they just said, "No, we don't. It, it's going to cost us four grand to swap the two, and so we're not doing that." Fair And um, have you thought about
0: going back to making films? Is it something that still kind of percolates in the back of your head?
1: It it does, but I wouldn't want to do it under the same circumstances. Okay. Like, I, I mean, I would do it for the same amount of money with the same people and all that kind of stuff, but I I would rather. Um, At at that time, when that when we got that, when they called up and said you have a green light and we're going to start shooting in ten weeks, like that's like a that's like a life changing moment, you know.
0: Do you prefer the the freedom that you get from the creative? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was it was it was life
1: changing. But then I realized as we went through the process that it was um, you you have no control. You might think you have control, and you can throw tantrums and be a a prima donna and whatever you want to do, but at the end of the day, you don't have, you have no, the people with the money are able to say, oh, that's great. Uh, th- and they can just string you along the whole time and you think everything's wonderful and there's a guy in a room two doors down that's recutting your movie and you don't know it. Yeah. Um, and so you think you're getting everything you want just because they want to keep you from losing your shit. And uh, there's no young kids in Arizona. <laughs> no, I think we should do it. And so you know, I, I like comics because I draw a picture and, and when, it's, when I'm done with it, it's done. I I quite like the
0: comment that you were saying outside of the image comics panel that um it was either yourself no it wasn't it was Declan he was saying that um that you you draw something and the turnaround is so fast yeah. that it's you are given so much freedom to create on your own um authority and on your own volition that it's given you're given that kind of
1: and it also lessens the stakes. Like, when you make a movie, like, I made that movie, and in my mind, I was thinking, like, okay, this is going to change my career. I'm losing
0: people's money. I'm, yeah.
1: But this is, I was also thinking, I'm cha- my career is changing now. I'm going to be a filmmaker. And it becomes, there's a lot of pressure involved because you do one movie every two or three years, and it's, it takes a lot of money, and it takes a lot of goodwill, and a lot of, you know, risk. And, 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 and if you get it wrong, you're, you're, you're dead in the water. Sure. And, um... And so, when it was with a comic, I can draw a comic in six weeks, or eight weeks, whatever it takes me now, and um, put it out there. And if it's good, great. And if it's not, ah, I'll do another one. You know, yeah. like it's there's a the, and not that I'm taking comics lightly, but the repercussions from producing being off the mark with a project is not they're not nearly as as. Uh, in fact, I don't think they're disastrous. I think they're actually really great because you can. You learn a lot. You learn it quickly, and you and you take that on to the next project fast. Fair enough. Uh,
0: I mean, there's certainly the things that we haven't touched on is the the uh, the big titles. Uh, say, for example, for uh, for Marvel, so Avengers, X Men, that kind of thing. But we can get into that if there's any questions that anyone wants to uh, to put to or the Tom Black at Monday all. Murders. Does anyone have any questions at all? Not a single one. Go for it, Emma. That was the one I was going to finish up on, but so like, no, no, you, no, you, you do right. That's exactly right. Let's go.
1: We're we going to finish up with that one, though. No, but we it certainly was a question. I was okay, on I didn't question. know if you wanted to ask any other people. No, that. no, was, um, okay. John is, is, uh, Jonathan is Jonathan um, is. I hate to say this about everybody. I sound like I'm saying this about everybody, but Jonathan is is the best collaborator I've ever worked with. Like he is. Um, I, I met Jonathan when he was still trying to finish. Uh, Pax Romana, and he was trying to find a publisher, and he was struggling, and no one cared, and no one could give two shits about what he was doing in his work, and they just thought, like, all the design stuff is, you know, this is self indulgent, it's crap, and, and, like, where's the superheroes, or where's the zombies, or where's whatever. And, uh, and we talked for a couple hours at a San Diego, he showed me his stuff, and I gave him whatever advice I could, because I, th- I liked his stuff, I thought it was great. And I never saw him again. And I, I honestly don't read comics. Um, I mean, I read I read Hellboy, and I read Mouse Guard. And those are the only two books <laughs> I read. And uh, and I've, I've reread Bone because my daughter, but and I love Bone. But um, he one night uh, somebody said, um, I started getting these texts at like ten o'clock at night. I put my kid to bed. I'm I'm laying in the bed next to her. She's dozing off, and I start getting all these texts saying. Jonathan Hickman's looking for you. you got to get a hold of Jonathan Hickman. And I'm thinking, who the hell is Jonathan Hickman? Like, I'm trying to put my kid to bed. you got to wait till tomorrow. And the next day I got online and, and I had to sign up for Twitter because I couldn't get a hold of him any other way. I said, hey, John, here I am. And, and then he explained to me who he was and what he was. And I was like, oh, great. And I found out he's like taken over the industry and reinvented the medium. And, and um, but he had written this book specifically for me. And, um, which was a real comp, you know, I was really flattered. At that time, I was designing a lot of um, animated TV shows and and some film stuff. And um, that stuff was starting to wrap up. And uh, one fun design job I did was um, I had to design the WWE. I did a lot of work for WWE, the wrestling, World Wrestling Enterprise or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I had to redesign, um, they wanted to do a Happy Foot sequel or third Happy Feet, the Penguin animated film with... um, where the wrestlers get introduced into the Happy Feet wheel, but they're all penguins, and and uh, so I had to design the entire WWE hero universe to be penguins and walruses and stuff, and that was awesome. That was my last job before Black Monday, but uh, and I, the Jonathan just was like, "Here's the script. It's written for you, so just do whatever you want to do. Um, I trust your judgment. I trust your uh." Sense so, of design yeah. and everything. And so I said, I said, okay, in my mind, I was thinking you're full of shit. You're lying to me right now. And um, so I kept asking him questions. I would say like, well, can I change this or can I do that? Or can I, you know, I want to try this or I want to add a page here. or Can we make this into a splash or whatever? And he kept saying like, I don't do whatever you want. Like I literally do whatever you want. I'm going to rework what he, he said, he will rework what he has done to, to, to match or to, you know, to work along with whatever I do. And it took me, like, three issues to realize he was telling the truth. And, um... That's a dream collaboration. It really is. Like, he gives me these scripts that are 30 pages long or 32 pages long, and I get... I can add, you know, six to eight pages to every script I get. And that doesn't exist. Like, that's not an opportunity you have elsewhere. Hmm. Um, and we're doing these, you know, massive books that are, like, 56 pages long for the first four. And... Uh, and they're these heavy, you know, things when they come out, and they're six dollars, whatever they were. And um, and I'm telling him, like, dude, you're crazy. Like you can't sell a six dollar, you know, what are you thinking? I was wrong on every occasion. He was right on every occasion, and um, and he still is every time. So I just I, I think we work well together, and I think because he wanted me to do this book, and I did end up doing it, that it it, it really is a uh, like a match made in heaven in that way um, and then I feel like I also I've learned a lot about I've learned his process and how he does things as much as I can from you know not, not being next to him kind of thing and uh, and by learning that process I've learned a lot about how I, I want to do books going forward which I don't think I can give him a better compliment than that I don't think Is that
0: what you try to find in a collaborator something that you can learn from or is it
1: I mean, mainly it's, like, he challenges me, and, um, and I think I challenge him. Have you guys seen the Black Mondays book? Has ever, most people here seen the Black Monday Murders book? No? It's, it's sort of bloody at times, and violent, and um, there's, a, there's a particular character who's essentially a, a demon, but she's a nude woman that is just covered in blood, and every issue she does something else that's awful and she gets more blood. And I didn't realize that was going to keep happening. So at a certain point I told Jonathan, she's just going to be solid black. And I don't know how to undo that. And um, we figured out a way to undo that. But uh, when we first started that though, I said, Jonathan, like, do you want blood? Or do you want like, I do, do you want red blood or do you want black blood? I, I would rather do black blood because then I can do more hmm. and not feel like I'm producing something that's, you know, kind of gross. And I said, okay, we'll do Black Blood, but don't do too much. Like, let's keep it kind of, you know, on... You know, let's not go too far with the gore. And I was like, okay, sure.
0: I've and read the book. I started that drawing these did pages. not go to plan. No,
1: and he would, he would call me up and he'd be like, dude, like, they're, like this is horrendous. Like, what have you done? And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it seems like that's what it called for. And I, and I told him, like, I could have gone much further. Yeah. Um. And I, But I would tell him, like, for me... It, the violence is so ludicrous yeah. that it makes it—it it diffuses it. Like it sure. makes it a little bit more comical in the sense that when someone's head is ripped off and the person who did it is now. Literally Good ripped. afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is an
0: announcement for our panel rooms. Panel room one on the second
1: floor. The spotlight on Tommy Lee Edwards. Which is Panel works. room two on the third floor. Do you want me to stand in robot for Tommy? Well, yeah. and
0: AI technology. imagining the future in science. And in power Room 3 is the independent Spirits. And our main stage outside in front of the steps, it's the adult cosplay competition. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. The reason why that's just happened is because I should have finished this five, ten minutes ago. You really this is where be, my bot. I have been lecturing them <laughs> all weekend that so no, you, professional. Professional. you shouldn't be. Yeah, be 15 professional about right this so. So, you know. However, um, it's been a pleasure talking to Tom, and I urge you to go and check Black Monday Murders, because it is a staggering achievement. It's well worth checking out. Ladies and gentlemen, please, a round of applause for Mr Tom Cokerady. Thank you.